You're listening to Dead Air Podcast, part of SplatterPictures.net. What's up, everybody? Wes, Dead Air Nipe here with Always. Typical Lydia. Today's show, we're going to be doing the 1977 David Cronenberg classic, Rabid. That's a little too sexy. I mean, Rabid, I think of like, you know, Cujo. Foaming at the mouth, the green slime. Yeah, maybe I did make it too, put a little too much sizzle on that stage. Well, it kind of... Kinda can't blame you. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, but we got Marilyn Chambers, uh, who I've only ever seen in Behind the Green Door, and I think I'm maybe one of two people that have ever watched Behind the Green Door that is of my age. I've never seen it. No, you're not into seventies uh, bush porn. I mean, I would be, except yeah. I just didn't ever have the opportunity. It's a it's an interesting film. It's a pretty. Uh, colorful and it has a plot ish mm-hmm. and it's got um, an interesting cast. Yeah, it's like Deep Throat. Basically, yeah. 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 It's very hippy dippy. Okay. Or porn. Yeah. It's it's up there with New Wave Hookers, which sort of has a plot ish, but it's just very visually interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I decided to force you to do Rabid, mostly because. I had recently gotten the Screen Factory version, which we didn't even end up watching today. We ended up watching the classic MGM DVD release. Which was sitting right in front of me, and der, I just hit play on the regular, plain old, boring DVD. Well, that's okay. Well, that's okay. I could see the visual differences, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I was excited to see the Blu-ray. Well, that's okay. Yeah, it's funny. The version that we watched looked like it was coming out of a fucking Super 8. (laughs) Hey, man, we're just kind of like immersing ourselves in the times. It's true. It's true. You know what? I'm usually down for that, down for that type of stuff. So I like to go see stuff in the Mayfair. It's like I need the crinkle tinkles of the screen, you know? Crinkle tinkles of the screen. I'm wearing a headband. Nothing says 70s like a headband. (laughs) Guys, don't freak out. It's black. Okay. Yeah, it's true. still. I had to let them know. I didn't want them (laughs) reeling in their chairs. Um, no, I wanted to do this. I'd recently gotten the Screen Factory version on Blu-ray. I got it I got it as a gift for myself for Christmas with a gift card that I got from others. So it's not really a gift for myself. But I used a gift card, got it, picked it up, and uh, was uh, reintroduced to it. I had seen this film a long time ago when I was a kid on TV. I, had, I did remember it quite well. I seem to remember it being more energetic than it ends up being or, or the scale of the infection a lot larger. I'm always looking for like teeming masses of crazy people, right? And then I also realized that now watching it again, well, when I watched it, when I had rebought the movie, that I had also confused scenes with this and the original crazies. Which is totally believable. Error. Yeah. There's a scene I confused with Children of the Corn. So it's just a confusable movie, maybe. And maybe we're just awfully young when we first saw it. Like, I was way too young. Like, too young to... It was the sort of too young where I was asleep well before my parents were watching scary movies. And 
when I went out, because my favorite trick was to just walk up to the VCR and press play, because I was an asshole. And it's like, hey, man, if you were watching porn, it's your own fault. And hit play. My mom would come scrambling, and sometimes she'd just stop and be like, oh, okay, and walk away. Uh, other times she would make a mad dash for that eject button. Yeah, it was great. It was my favorite trick to play, and I did it with this film. And I thought that I had watched a porn, because it was at one of the scenes uh, when she's with the doctor, when she attacks the doctor. Okay. So you can see where I had thought that, well, you've got this like penis vagina thing going on. and Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like a dog's penis comes out. That's very fucking strange, especially to a little kid who doesn't yeah. really know. Like, mm-hmm. I was, oh God, I don't know. I was probably like five or six or something. Like, I don't know how young I'd have been when we first had a VCR. Mm-hmm. I was probably seven or eight, maybe, but still, like, awfully young and not knowing the things I know now. Yeah, yeah. About dog About penis. dog <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and rabies. Rabies. We learned a lot about rabies on the I Drink Your Blood episode, so we're not going to go into rabies. Cause- not really, but do you think that this was a product of the 70s? Between this, I Drink Your Blood, the crazy, the crazies is not, it's not rabies, but... no. Is it, it was it just another way to do zombies without having them be zombies? Another way to do zombies, yes, in a way. And another way to like society might feel very prepared for everything, but we're not prepared for everything. We're right? certainly how can you possibly be prepared for an experimental skin graft that turns into an armpit phallus that a person needs to sustain entirely on blood with this phallus that then spreads an infection. That infection can be spread by the infected now through bites, and it spreads exponentially. This would be so much easier to contain if this had happened in the 40s or the 50s. There's not so many people around and malls aren't as bustling. And now she just heads on down to the plaza and you mm-hmm. just hop on the subway and you can infect other people that are in close quarters and she just keeps wanting to get out and go out and go out. So maybe it's uh, something to do about the, the sex culture of going out at night, clubbing culture, nightlife in Montreal. Maybe it's something to do with that where like, you know, everyone's safe if you just stay in your, stay in your homes. But if you go out and mingle, you're liable to get the clap, the drip, the fucking armpit vagina. You can get all kinds of stuff just by heading out at night or in the broad daylight. Now, Cronenberg We've never covered on the show, correct? If I remember correctly. No, and that's part of why I wanted to hit Rabid pretty bad. Um, I'd sort of wanted to do Dead Ringers. And I've sort of toyed with the idea of doing Crash, but neither of them really fit. Dead Ringers fits more than anything with our show. And we probably will. I've uh, toyed with the idea of hitting it with Amy because that seems like a very Amy Vosper movie as well. Uh, Rabid has hints. Like, it's a second feature film, so... It has hints of crashes in the car crashes. There's two big crashes in this. Mm-hmm. And his obsession with disease. Yeah. And the even the shaky doctor uh, having a strange moment while operating. Mm-hmm. Even that has hints of what's to come from mm-hmm. David Cronenberg in the future. Bizarre physiology. Mm-hmm. Mutation. Th- these are all themes that this guy will carry forward into his films. Uh, Cronenberg for me was things that were out at the time when I was coming of age with crash and existence and 
when I was a little, when I was a lot younger, things like Naked Lunch, and and then of course when I, when you start doing the back catalog, you get into the Brood, and then you get to Video Drum, which I like quite a bit. So I always knew that we were eventually going to cover a Cronenberg film, and I don't know. Uh, his son did a film that I liked quite a bit called Antiviral yeah, out in right. 2011 or something like that. Again, massive themes of disease. You really, I, I think I wrote a review then and I said the apple doesn't fall far from the tree when it comes to the types of films that this family definitely seems influenced by and interested in making. So I would say that always a fascinating director to look at and he's canadian so why not yeah yeah, yeah that's yeah. another reason i really wanted to hit this on the show There's a couple reasons and of course um this is one chris from buying torture cast had watched when he was very very young as well mm-hmm. so it leaves a mark and it definitely left a mark on me left a mark on him i had recently bought david cronenberg's first novel uh, okay. consumed wonderful fucking novel doesn't really go exactly where you want it to go in a way just being like a cronenberg fan and wanting everything to just you know, end up with twins dying in their apartment or (laughs) the entire world run amok. And, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, at the the sort of ending that we get here, like you want it to get really big or really warped, really something. And Consumed is is very Cronenberg. It's expertly written. And he writes like he talks, I'd like to imagine, like to hear him talk or just the way that his scripts unfurl. Uh, he writes like that as well. So I don't think there was a lot of other hands. Like, I definitely accuse some authors like Joe Hill, uh, unfortunately. He's a great writer, but I swear there's a lot of editors at work there. There's other authors that definitely have a lot of editors at work there. But I think Cronenberg, I swear he just writes it all out on a hotel notepad, right? And that's it. And Restaurant golden. napkins. Yeah, golden. <laughs> Everything he touches turns to weird misshapen bleeding gold in my mm, mind mm, mm. so yeah that's why I, I really really wanted to to hit this and it's a, a movie that uh comes to mind more often than it than it gets mentioned i would say so and like so many cronenberg films they're very difficult to categorize because what do you say is this rabies they say flat out in the film it's not rabies yeah and Is it horror or is it science fiction? This woman's a mutant of some kind. It's almost alien in the way that she is infecting people. It's weird. The characters are oddly aloof, most of them. Even the characters that have some sense of agency. And we'll get into Mr. Hart. But... (laughs) (laughs) we'll get into mr harbert not very deep because there isn't far to go no 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 i I love that guy uh the other reason i wanted to cover this is because it's canadian as you mentioned and we are we might not wear it on our sleeves or do we do we are we canadian are we so canadian that it hurts i mean i have that even in my twitter thing i'm canadian and i love you all so (laughs) okay maybe you do uh, I, I'd, I'd like to just think we uh, sort of just blend into the background as Canadians. We're not like... Like a lot of Canadian films. Yeah, Derry. Well, here you're oh, on the yeah. Canadian film show. We're going to oh, talk yeah. about this uh, David Cronenberg. Yeah. He's yeah. Uh, doing this film in Montreal. Yeah. real Looks like a real polite fella. Yeah. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> yeah, We're, buddy. We, we don't do that. We don't call it like... The great Canadian film show, like a lot of uh, Canadians have this illness of sticking the Maple Leaf horror show or whatever. They're going to like brand themselves. We don't really brand ourselves Canadian. Um, so it's nice when we get to do a Canadian film. And I like to do Ottawa films when we fucking can, which is rare. I thought of doing Smash Cut too, but we didn't. And we're doing Rabbit instead, which is neat that an Ottawa friend of mine, 
Professor Sean Moreland at the University of Ottawa has written a paper where he talks about Smash Cut and Rabbit. Okay. And it's in a book that is the most Canadian horror film book that I've ever read. And guess what it's called? The Canadian horror film. The pages smell like maple syrup, guys. They do. They're not even scratch and sniff. They just do. <laughs> and it's got like all kinds of names like Ali Ahmad, also from here in Ottawa at Carleton, and Paul Korup, if I'm saying his last name right, Gina Freetag. Uh, Kayla Janice, uh, Sean Moreland, of course, who I'd mentioned, and Andrea Subasati of Rumor Magazine. Yep. They all appear in this book. So it's definitely a fun resource for Canadian horror film and some academic talk on some very popular and important titles. One thing that Sean has to say, which isn't like pointed out about this film. And this is why I like to read about film sometimes. It brings up things that I would have not thought about on my own. Also because I'm stupid. Oh, come on now. But one thing that uh, Sean likes to point out isn't something that, like, and once it's said, it's like, oh, yeah, I never thought about it like that. But Sean points out how Rose is a final girl. She doesn't mm. feel like a final girl whatsoever. Mm. But she's this blend of a final girl and monster. Uh, Rose's role, he says, can be recognized as a fusion of the function of the monster killer and the final girl. In the synthesis, these characters, Rabid presents a logical extension of the affinity between the monster and the final girl. And I never thought of her as a final girl for like for obvious reasons to people who have watched this film. And when we fucking spoil the ending for you, mm-hmm. you'll know it all too. But to think of her as a final girl slash monster, that that feminist monstrous, and having he talks a lot in his article about the sexuality that is otherwise denied from a lot of these apocalyptic horror films. There, if there's any sexuality, it's a hero and heroine doing it because you know nothing like apocalypse to make people real horny. I guess get your craft noodle going. Craft noodle. <laughs> yeah. What is a craft noodle? Well, you know, if you're going to eat some mac and cheese, some craft macaroni and cheese, your craft noodle is your little wiener. Mine's orange. Oh, you mean craft dinner? Yeah. Okay. You're talking all American there, and I couldn't understand a word you were fucking saying. Sorry. I did say craft to try to make it as Canadian as possible. Yeah, that's what gave me the hint. And then you said macaroni and cheese and sorry I was like, what? you know in, in panels of blood i talked about pogos as opposed to corn dogs oh good good job <laughs> fist bump yeah 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 so uh that's another reason i had really wanted wanted to hit it after reading sean's uh essay in the canadian horror film also just because it's super fun to get some Cronenberg in, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know some of our listeners have been asking for Cronenberg films for a little while, so I'm glad that we could hit one. And this is not as though we're only, this is the only one that we're ever going to cover, but certainly for now, and it seemed to make thematic sense for our show. Yeah, heading into Train to Busan and coming off of I Drink Your Blood. Yeah. But anyway, what is this movie even about? It is about heart. Heart. Heart and how he has taken... So much Botox to the face that he has no facial expressions whatsoever. And I think it's his dirty secret because he never mentions that he's ever done anything to freeze his face in place. He also has had his emotions removed somehow by some, you know, deep, dark, underground experimental 
medical treatment that we'll, we'll never be aware of, that he has no emotions whatsoever. He probably has um, a, a stunted tongue, too, because he barely talks. And when he does, he kind of mumbles. So I think that it's really about Hart coming to terms with his, his fear of admitting he's had extensive surgeries to make him a fucking mannequin. This film, in some aspect, feels as though that David Cronenberg, the experimental filmmaker that he is, cast a cardboard cutout as his male lead and thought no one would notice. You know what's funny, though, is that we didn't notice. We didn't. He didn't. You won, David Cronenberg. You won. Up until recently, for some reason, I don't know what it was. I must have wore the sunglasses one day. Yeah. From a different <laughs> film by someone else. And saw through your clever charade. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like I ruined it for, you, for Wes. You did You kind of did, in a way. I swear to God, I've seen this movie now. This is my third full sit-down watch-through of this film. And until you told me, you pointed it out that Hart Reed is awful in this movie. <laughs> it's like no one noticed. I, the, I, I, it was. It literally became all I could concentrate on. Yeah. And and then it became us sitting here and me constantly pointing out how he is in entire scenes and everyone else is talking but him. And most of his responses are, yeah, okay. That's most of his responses. You know, uh, thanks, sir. Like, just, that's it. Yeah, thanks. Or the one time when he says, thanks a fucking lot. And he sounds mad, but he's not supposed to be. So it's just a very confusing delivery. And a lot of his delivery is very confusing if you pay attention to Hart. Because, I mean, who can when you have Rose in front of you? I mean, I can hardly pay. That's probably why we never paid attention. And and also, everyone else is doing, for for the most part, Hart is never in a scene by himself. Oh. He always has other more lively characters. <laughs> so, I'm sorry. I lost my shit thinking about <laughs> I'm sorry. Other more lively characters. He's never in a scene by himself. He's never in a scene by himself. He's, there's other more lively characters. What's, what are you laughing at? <laughs> Tell me. While Murray's driving, he's drinking his coffee. <laughs> Looking at him. And it's just, they go on like that for like an hour long drive. My shit together. It's fucking awesome. He's only by himself pretty much by the end. And there's one scene where he's just driving and not talking. And that's after, but typically he's got Murray with him to at least say something. And Murray, it has a really uh, hypnotic voice. He's got an interesting look. He's got an interesting character. He he drops little hints here and there about his life and stuff. So he's a semi-interesting guy, and he must be super fucking interesting in real life because that car ride they take that takes about an hour long and split up about three, you know, three minute scenes. Where all Hart does is just sip coffee and stare directly at him while he drives, which is the creepiest thing. If I was in a car driving along and my passenger wasn't talking to me, was just sitting there sipping coffee out of a styrofoam mug and just and turned in their seat facing me yeah. and just watching me drive or something. like I don't He's know. like a toddler that's just enamored with do. the driver. Yeah. It's creepy as fuck. Creepy as fuck, but you don't really notice it if you're not watching it for heart, which we, it became a game. Yeah. Yeah. Murray's kind of like a non-Russian Henry Kissinger to me. Mm. That's how his voice is. 
I am going to talk like this, and it's very slow and melodic. He's got that vibe to me. He certainly does. So at least he's interesting. That or there's cops shooting one another or something. There's always something going on that he doesn't even really need to react to, luckily. Uh, There's only a few times where it's really noticeable that you're like, God, guy, why aren't you reacting? Or why, like, you're you're having an infected person advance on you and you've got the same look on your face that you did when the phone rang earlier. Yeah. Like, it's crazy. He is sitting there in an ambulance. This film opens up with an accident. This is how this all happens. They're driving along the lonely Quebec countryside. They get into an accident a couple of minutes away from a plastic surgery clinic, or at least a hospital that specializes in plastic surgery. Luckily. And they bring Rose in and Hart, and right off the fucking bat, the doctors are rushing Rose in. Her her torso is badly damaged. And they take a minute to say, I got a guy in the ambulance. He's mildly concussed. He's got a separated shoulder, and his hand is broken. And Hart is just sitting in the ambulance as if he's completely fine. He's not acting in any way injured. He's not cradling his arm. He's not bandaged. There's nothing. Not a fucking thing going on. He's just sitting there looking at his girlfriend getting wheeled away, looking vaguely concerned like he's waiting for a bus. Yeah, and it doesn't even look like he's shell-shocked either. He just looks like he's waiting for a bus. And even later, when he's worried that he might have killed her, he's just he delivers it with that exact same sort of cardboard cutout look on his face. Oh, uh, my girlfriend. I think she's unconscious. It's all my fault. I'm, I'm sorry for anyone who does love this movie and hasn't noticed this, and will go back and revisit it and just damn us. Damn us with every scene that Hart is in. <laughs> and when you realize just how flatline this guy is yeah i mean he does have an explosive scene at one point one explosive scene other than that and it's not like it is sort of like they saved it up for that maybe but not really i don't think there's any explanation the only explanation i could think of is that he's purposefully has this flat effect so we can project more easily upon him and I'm not a person that necessarily projects upon people with when I'm watching films. I do tend to watch it from a subjective yeah. point of view um, uh, in almost all cases. So it's maybe easier for me to notice these things. I don't know. But I I can't think that this is a casting decision made on purpose. Unless Cronenberg is a bigger genius than I even already think he is. This was fairly new in his career. But he had to have... Uh, there's a fairly... Big cast in this film. Yeah. I thought some of the guys playing police officers seem like they would be better. Some of the people that Rose interacts with in in life that she's going to infect seem like better. The the guy in the mall. The guy with, with the boots. With the yeah. fucking boots and the pantaloons yeah. <laughs> seems like a better, more charismatic leading man. Well, maybe, maybe when they had their pick of the litter, he was the one that looked um, the most like... A boyfriend of hers. Maybe, or at the very least, I'm wondering if the the audition for this guy, the audition, I would wager. I wasn't there. But if I were to guess... You weren't born. I wasn't born. The audition for this guy would have likely been the scene at the end. 
Yeah. Between the, the screaming argument that they have at the end. If I was a director or a casting director. Are you sure it wasn't? How long can you sit in a car and hold this coffee cup and stare? Just <laughs> stare. <laughs> Typically speaking, in auditions, they will pick. They're either looking for compatibility with cast members. So they'll do long dialogue scenes with individual cast members to, to see if they gel together yeah. or they'll see the most, um, they'll do the most emotionally demanding scenes and see if they can project that feeling through these scenes. Cause if they can do that scene, then by virtue of that fact, then they could probably do less demanding scenes yeah. you'd think. So, and I will say that his rage scene and her rage scene at the end of this film very authentic, untapped, unbridled, uncontrolled rage. They scream at each other like I've heard people scream at each other in real life, but not in film. Yeah. So maybe, maybe, maybe that that makes some sense. That does make some sense. So, uh, so, but that's it. But for the rest of the, the fucking film, this guy is useless. Thankfully, thankfully, he is not germane to the plot whatsoever. No, the other scene, like aside from the very end where he does have an explosive scene, the second best scene he has is at the very beginning when he has a helmet on his head mm-hmm. and we don't have to look at him or think about him and he gets in a fucking motorcycle accident. And that's another reason I wanted to cover this. Like from time to time, me and Wes like to tell stories. We do? Yeah. Um like is a is a is an interesting word because sometimes I don't really like to tell stories and I've actually cut some stories out here and there because sometimes it's just like meh that's too personal or meh that's too I I call that person a, a penis face too many times and <laughs> you know stuff like that it's never too personal for me guys I'll tell you anything about me that you want yeah but this one not only was it one that made my mom lunge across a room to hit the eject button um, upon seeing it later on when I was probably 17 16 or 17 or something like that i thought oh man this is probably why they watched and i wonder if it's one of their favorites and i never really got a chance to ask my my parents but i could ask my dad about it now if he remembers um but at the time my father would have just finished healing from extensive skin grafts so i had known all about skin grafts before even seeing this and he had had uh, extensive burn injury from underneath his chin all the way down his chest, which scared a lot of like my young friends because I was very used to having this Freddy Krueger flesh dad neck chest look. Yeah, it just becomes every day. Yeah, very used to it. It's not as noticeable now. It's healed up very, very well. But when I was young, it was very wrong. He had extensive skin grafts over years and years uh, to to build up and fix the, the flesh of his chest and neck. Um, so it probably would have been... A very touching thing for him, a very personal thing for him to be watching, uh, especially in between 77 to 82, because he was still getting treatment for that when I was in kindergarten in 1980, well, in the 80s. So mm-hmm. it was a, like a long journey. He would have seen this movie definitely while he was still seeing doctors about this. So that would have been very, very touching for him, let alone the opening scene where in an unrelated incident... Before I was born, and the reason why my dad never rode his Norton motorcycle that was in the garage all my life, him and my mom had gotten in a horrific motorcycle accident on the self-same motorcycle that you see in the opening of this movie. And he had been dragged, apparently, underneath this, because he drove fast. It was very fast going when they, when they took a spill and he hugged his bike. 
my mom went flying into a field and she was relatively unscathed, but he was dragged under his motorcycle for a very, very long time. And his back was basically just turned into bloody cottage cheese full of dirt for years. He probably still has dirt embedded in him. So it was like these two things watching this. I was like, oh, man, <laughs> I wonder mm. if this was, you know, of all the horror movies that I've ever watched because they watched or watched with them we have a really open dialogue i never did ask them like hey what'd you guys think of rabbit because it might be a little too close and here i am telling the world about mm-hmm, mm-hmm, this mm-hmm. horrific burn injuries and this really like probably traumatic motorcycle accident because i heard about it many times my grandmother was the they, they went to my grandmother's house and she was the first responder for his injuries so i heard a lot about it from him and her and my mother as well, who never got onto the motorcycle again. Well, that's that's not surprising, right? I mean, I don't know if I would have the constitution to want to get back on a motorcycle that would have hurt me or a loved one that badly. You would just say, oh, it's not worth the risk. The his and hers motorcycle helmets used to sit up on top of this one uh, closet in, by one of the back doors at my house when I was a kid. And they sat there forever. Me and my sister would play with them sometimes, but mm-hmm. yeah. It was kind of kind of sad, but he got on the motorcycle a couple times, but eventually did sell it. Right, right, right. Yeah, crazy stuff. So as soon as I, every time I watch this movie, I just sort of like get lulled with that initial motorcycle ride. Because mm-hmm. that's right it. at the start. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. And I wonder what he would have thought about the idea of having skin grafts and then just being irrevocably changed from that. Mm-hmm. Would you have ever given a second thought if it's just, ah, it's just a dumb movie, whatever, who cares? Or would he contemplate on that? That's an interesting, what is Cronenberg trying to say mm. with this? That or if having given it a lot of thought himself, maybe find some sort of reflection in that, which is something that a lot of people don't see in film. They, you know, can watch a hundred movies and not see any little bit of themselves, especially if they've been through something very singular like that, mm-hmm. until they do watch something that seems very, very singular mm-hmm. and something they've been through so they can relate to it while no one else in the room really can. So yeah, who knows? Yeah. I'll have to harass my dad about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll give us an update. That'd be really interesting. Yeah. Right. So this, that harrowing bike story, notwithstanding, <laughs> back to the film... Where they crash in front of the Keloid Institute, which is a cool name, actually. Uh, interesting name choice, Mr. Cronenberg. Uh, a keloid is a overgrowth on a scar tissue. Oh, really? Yeah. That's interesting. And that's the doctor's name. Yeah. Dr. Overgrowth on Scar Tissue. <laughs> Dr. Keloid. Yeah, the Keloid Institute. Um, luckily, she gets brought there so they can treat her extensive burn injuries with, with skin ex- grafts. With experimental skin graft surgery. It's like denatured flesh so it can become other flesh. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's like that, that uh, experimentation they've been doing where they grow those organs that are gray and they have no DNA. So they theoretically, you could get a heart transplant from this thing regardless of what your body is or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. A very interesting idea. He explains it in the film as though this will allow better healing because the right skin will be grown. It won't just be thigh skin on top of chest skin. It will be thigh skin that will be changed into any skin so it can grow as the original skin from the area. 
Yeah, which makes sense. It's nice because you don't want to take like, you know, butt flesh and stick it on your head and then you'll have then you'll be a butthead. <laughs> well, it doesn't really go so well for her because she's not only does has to have this experimental skin graft surgery, she's also in a coma for quite a while. But as things start to heal and things start to grow, she awakens. Screaming. <laughs> from her coma. Mm-hmm. And it's so hot, so sticky. And, you know, one of the, the, the people there that go to the clinic maybe often get facelifts, get their ears done. Yeah, Lloyd. And he even Lloyd. introduces himself as her friend. And it's like, she's been in a coma for a month and has never met you before. Yeah. Is she your friend because you both hang out at... At the keloid clinic? <laughs> it was just weird. I'm your friend, Lloyd. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Sure you are. He looks like a fucking creeper. You said he looked like Guy Smiley from Sesame Street. He really, he really did. And the night does. nurse, one of the first things the night nurse says to the doctor is she's like, we should get the cops in here because he might have molested her, which is mm. just crazy. But yeah, yeah. Uh, she wants a hug. She wants him to hold her. Mm-hmm. And then he feels like something stabbed him accidentally. And then you see down at his torso, he starts bleeding. The interesting thing about this is from first reaction, you would think, oh, she bit him. Because she sort of lunges at him into his neck. Mm -hmm. But then when you look at where he's bleeding from, it's very hard. No, at first you're like, that's impossible. Yeah, that's impossible. Is he bleeding from his neck and it dripped down? I don't understand what's happening. Well, you're not going to have to worry about it too long. But Lloyd is going to wake up later with no memory of what happened. And also, he's exhibiting signs that he has suffered a stroke. Not only is is the complete side of his body numb, but the wound itself won't clot. So Mm. it won't close. Which is a lot like a sting from an insect. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So you'd think that there might be something in this phallus. What we don't know, what we will soon know, uh, when Rose does this many more times. She does it to a cow. Yeah. She kind of like busts out in the rain and it's kind of like frenzied and hungry for whatever. But she vomits up the cow blood. Through some... And, and then she attacks another person. And it's weird because she has this aloofness, this innocence, this frustration, this vulnerability because of the fact that she's woken up in a hospital. She's had an accident. She seems scared, whichever. And then she shifts into almost this playful, calm, manipulative, I know what I look like type appearance. And man, do people, guys, like this woman. Holy fuck. People are instantaneously enamored with her at all times. This fucking drunken creep just comes into the barn and is, yeah, it's time for sex. Gets fucking pricked in the eye. But what is she pricking people with? We don't, yeah, we don't get a really a good look at it yet, which is fine. That's great, you know, not revealing all his tricks. That's we're not. Yeah. We know that she hugs people, mm-hmm. and then they get stabbed by something, and then they lose consciousness, have no recollection of what happened, and then there'll be a numbness to the area. What's happening? I'll tell you what's happening. What's that? Hot tub time. Uh... It's not my favorite hot tub scene. We all know that that's in Halloween too. I was going to say, it probably is Halloween, too. Nice industrial strength. This A lot of this does play, take place in a hospital. What do you think of that? I don't mind it. It's a pretty, like, um, homey institution. It's not mm-hmm. as hospitally as I'd like. And she leaves it all the fucking time. It's true. But what she needs is a proper nurse. 
She does. She just seems to be able to like come and go. But it is it is weird about that. Too. And she's in uh, intensive care. Yeah, and she's been at this clinic for over a month at this yeah. point. Yeah. So we know heart's all healed up, or at least mostly healed. Yeah, he's still doing exercises on his hand that he broke him, which is normal. That's yeah, and he's got pins. He's got a pin in his shoulder mm-hmm. and shit. But she attacks a girl in the hot tub, mm-hmm. uh, which is, a, you know, another way to infuse sex, but they don't really take it to where... You know what the logical conclusion that many people would have liked to have seen there. Yeah, I mean, Rose is in this silky, billowing, white dress robe thing that mm-hmm. whatever the hell she's wearing. I love that the the woman in the the hot tub instantly is squicked out by the fact that this person is just coming in, just walking right into the hot tub, and she's just, well, I better go. It starts out really awkward, and I, I really enjoy that. It's refreshing to see... A fucking horror film that even, it, like, it has a very sexualized notion to it. Especially her first attack. It is a very sexy scene. It definitely looks like she's going to mount Lloyd while she's feeding off of him. And even, it looks like she's kind of mounting the cow. There is a very sexy feel to all of this. And she's a porn star. This we know. She is, yeah. Yeah, there is nudity and stuff like that, but... For a horror film with a very sexy idea going on in there, it mm. doesn't just turn into a fucking swimsuit model beer commercial scene. Cronenberg dabbles in vague sexuality all the time. Mm. Things are usually sexy, but you can't always explain why. Because yeah. there's nothing... There's something predatory about how she's behaving and there's a lot of casual nudity on her part Mm -hmm. which she's fine with and it also a lot of men are lured to her she's very beautiful and she is aware of her attractiveness that's the thing that because man she can't go anywhere without getting approached by men Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah it's true absolutely anywhere but then she does look just very sweet and inviting on top of that aside from uh, them wanting to chatter up because she's very, very pretty. She is also very inviting. And mm-hmm. she is on the hunt. So I guess it's a pheromone thing too, right? Do you think that she has control over it at all? Do you no. think? Because I don't think... I get that sense too. I think that whatever this mutation is... She's like Astro Boy being called home. Yeah. It, it, I think she's just an automatic pilot. Yeah. And she has moments of lucidity. But for the most part, she is just not... It's all about getting her next fix. Her yeah, next... because when she's fed, she spends like a little bit of time in a glow, it seems, but then wants to return home or to the hospital or returns to somewhere safe mm-hmm. and somebody that she knows and trusts. Yeah. But then she'll like a day later, just throw all that to the wayside and hop in a truck, hop in a car, go to the mall, like anywhere just to get out and around people mm-hmm. so she can feed eventually. And she seems to know that that's going on, but yeah, has no real control over it. Yeah. Fascinating, fascinating fucking character. Absolutely. And we don't get a lot of answers like that either, even though we get a very full frontal answer to what the fuck is going on underneath her armpit. Yeah, so she has changed some for some weird stretch of the imagination this experimental surgery has created a protuberance a phallus that is in a vagina that is in yeah a vagina or like a butthole type yeah, thing yeah it looks more like an anus and a yeah, vagina uh, underneath her armpit and it comes out and at the end of this red thing it it has a little needle 
Yeah. And that needle injects and then this thing drinks blood. I don't know if this is almost a brain damage type creature that has control of her or or what. I don't know. That's what it seems to be except that nothing infected her. Mm-hmm. Nothing infected her except that these cells were given carte blanche to be whatever kind of cells they wanted to be. And it's like they're supposed to be symbiotic as to whatever cells they're attached to. So taking the skin graft from her thigh and sticking it up underneath on the side of her breast, basically, it's supposed to turn into breast tissue, which is basically what's in that area mm-hmm. uh, on anyone. So instead, it was like, well, oh, I don't want to be breast tissue. You know what I want to be? A penis vagina stinger blood drinker. That's what I want to be. Yeah. She needs to subsist entirely on blood now. Human blood. Human blood, because we've seen her try to eat a cow, does not go well. We don't know if the cow became infected, because that's another thing that's going to happen. But we do know that 100% of the time, every person that she bites, and she can't eat regular food anymore, she'll puke it all up instantaneously Mm -hmm. almost. Every single person that she bites in a couple of hours will change into a green-foamed, pale-skin, red-circled-eyed, rabid, violent person yeah Yeah. happens to lloyd it happens to the man who ends up going to the diner the the drunk in the barn yeah and um there's a fight over whose food is whose basically that's the most canadian scene ever hey buddy i think that's i think you got the wrong one and he's just mowing down the whole thing and then the guy still without missing beat i think you got the wrong one there's no real anger hey there buddy hey (laughs) hey i think you're eating the wrong one i don't want any trouble i love that scene um I, I always forget how short it is, and I often think that I've confused it with the other diner scene from Children of the Corn. Oh. <laughs> so from this point, we know that we can definitely see we're watching a movie called Rabid. We know, generally speaking, what it's about, and we can see the things starting to take shape. We know that every time Rose encounters anyone, she will feed on them. if And, give, and then they will change and then they will start attacking and biting people. She attacks the she bites the fucking doctor. Yeah. Who in turn has a little bit of a freak out oh, in the, the operating room. In one of my favorite scenes, I love the scene in which he snips off the nurse's finger. Yeah, the nurse's finger. But like even right leading up to that point where it's like you know something's going to happen and she doesn't really, but she knows he's acting off. Yeah. Another scene that's mirrored in Dead Ringers where Doctor is obviously out of sorts. And in that case on, on a lot of opiates. But the, the Doctor's obviously out of sorts and is going to do something totally fucking maniacal mm-hmm. in the operating room, which is definitely terrifying. Um, so this scene, even though it only has a little taste of that, I really enjoy that operating room scene. Yeah, I like it quite a bit. And that is really what gets the ball rolling. We know that at this point, that's where the police are called in. This mm-hmm. is where the military starts getting involved. And doctors are trying to figure out what the F has happened. And now, it's on the radio, too. This is one of the first parts. Because we do get not as much as Light Night of the Living Dead or other infection films where the television and radio is really a huge source of information, but it does definitely play a role. But it's not always just the same program. I do enjoy that about Rabbit. And it's probably why it's not as noticeable that you're going to get all your real information from the TV when it's on. It's a TV program, a radio show, something noticed 
um, when somebody does turn on the news to get the information or just in passing overheard from another room. So mm. I, I do like that it takes on many flavors. But the, we learn that the health authorities and World Health Organization are involved. Mm-hmm. They, they are describing this as rabies. One of the interesting thing about these scenes that also differentiate it from Night of the Living Dead and other films that will use radio and television to give information to the audience is we actually know more information than the people on television know. Mm-hmm. We know that this isn't rabies. We know the source of it. Mm-hmm. And and no other character really does. Rose doesn't even really seem to know the source of this own thing from the get-go. Now, meanwhile, we have fucking Hart walking around with his pal Murray. Murray was someone who was a business associate of Dr. Kelloid, who obviously works at this the the lead doctor at this clinic named after himself i guess yeah. but and so murray is is just like driving him around basically they're trying to find rose and then they go there in the midst of all this shit and it's that fucking thing that you were talking about while we were watching with hart just staring at murray <laughs> yeah just staring no at lines. the guy and there's scenes coming up where he needs to have some fucking lines and he doesn't he and, just and I get it. Stairs. Even him calling Murray in the middle of the fucking night mm-hmm. that he's worried because Rose calls him in a moment of clarity and says that she's awake and he didn't even know that she was out of the coma. No. And for her to call all of a sudden and be like, I think I'm going crazy. You need to come now. Mm-hmm. And then for them to arrive there and her not be there. And then the, all this fucking shit is broken out. Yeah. And there's really no reason why they would suspect her. No, except that when they pull up and the cops are everywhere and Hart's like, I, it's it's got to be about Rose. I know that Rose has something to do with this, with that like flat effect yeah. delivery that he has. It's like, what, because she's missing? Are you hoping that they're here to help because she's missing? Yeah. Like, do you know? All, how do you know? All you know Cause is. Because she said she was thought she was going crazy. Yeah. It looks like the doctor's pretty crazy because they have him look at him. He's uh, in the paddy wagon. There's a Canadian word for you. Yeah. In the paddy wagon. Um. And they want Murray to identify the doctor as his business partner. And he is like a green foam, freaking out, rabid monster in the back of this Hart, cop car. Hart's got to go identify somebody, too. He's going to identify the woman in the hot tub that's yeah. now just been tossed in a deep freezer. Judy. Yeah. And it has, like you said, why is this the, the iconic image? Yeah, it's on the DVDs. Even if you were, my Scream Factory one has a scene from the subway as its original art. But if you were to flip that around to what the original poster for the movie was, it's just that scene. Mm-hmm. It's just a fo- basically a photo of that. And, and sometimes it's just strange what becomes the iconography of a film. Like you had mentioned when we were going Cannibal Holocaust, how that became the image of the woman skewered on the pike. That's the image that's on the T-shirts and on the fucking dvd and everything right and it is like i guess that is the special effects set piece of this film in a lot of ways i mean it does look good she's all super deep freeze she got ice chunks all over her skin and, and shit like that so i get it yeah yeah it makes sense but she does have a very very small role yeah it's one scene and then you see her body later that's it mm-hmm but hey, whatever works, I guess. Whatever reminds people of whatever, I guess that's what shocked people the most. Not the, uh, you know, you could put that vagina penis stinger thing on the front cover if you're really feeling you bold. Yeah, it's true. But I feel like that's kind of a secret. You don't even get to see it until more, way more than halfway through the movie. 
Yeah, it felt, right? it felt sooner than that to me. It felt like 20 minutes in or so, but it's probably later on in. Yeah, it's not an, It's not really until Dr. Kelloid is examining her that we get a good look at it. And then we get some we get some good looks at it feeding and taking in blood later on. But oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Not- it's crazy some of the wounds that people get. Because sometimes she gets people right up on the fucking face. Yeah. It's like just armpit right into the face. <laughs> like, wow. Yeah. She really goes for it. Now, she has left this, the clinic a while ago. She got a ride with the trucker, fucking aces that dude. And I like that that trucker basically passes out. He wakes up later. A cop wakes him up and then he goes on his way. And then, of course, this is how the infection is spreading because she doesn't kill the people that she's doing this to. And one of the things that I do like in this film is eventually we lose track of where everyone. Yeah, because up until a certain point, it's like, oh, yeah, that was that guy that she was with or that was that person that was near that thing. Mm -hmm. That was that person that she got in the eye. That was that trucker. But yeah. then she goes back home to her roommate. She does, yeah. yeah. And now she, and so now she's in Montreal proper. Yeah. The, the whole time we've been in and just in Quebec, someplace. Well, yeah. When I said um, that she is probably on um, Saint Catherine because she goes into a peep show, not a peep show, but like a porn theater. Yeah. And I was only half kidding. Where their apartment would be on Saint Michael is totally around the corner she's like a block away from like the porn strip yeah or i don't even i haven't been there in a long time so i don't know if uh that's still very porny oh i don't know if it's still porny or not i mean here's hoping yeah here's hoping because i (laughs) plan to retire on top of a porn theater downtown montreal (laughs) i'll visit you thank you good um the, the fucking porno scene guy. I th- there's a moment in the porn scene where uh, in the porn scene there's a moment in when she goes to, to the porno theater just to watch it, and this one guy just watches her the whole time because he's probably just oh there's a woman in this porno theater. Yeah, and the then, only woman for miles. And then he he does something which is so fucking creepy. But man, did he is it his lucky day? Because his stupid pervy tactic of walking behind a woman in a porno theater, caressing her face, trying to say that he did that by accident, mm. and then saying, if you let me sit with you, guys won't bother you because they'll think we're together. Wow. That is the worst fucking... The idea that... I, I guess you got to try anything. If you're a pervert in a porno theater and you see a woman there, this is his big move. But he... I, I love when she just kind of gives him the yet the nod and hey get over here get over here he has this long moment where he's not even sure if he's <laughs> fucking if she's fucking it's like with like the him. most realistic thing he does really right because because he has that thought this internal monologue of really are you are you fucking serious oh my god she's letting me do it <laughs> yeah yeah which is kind of kind of adorable but it doesn't make him any less weird no like whatever happened to like Hey, I noticed you sitting there. Do you mind if I sit with you? So that she has a chance to say, no, get the fuck away from me, you weirdo. Yeah, 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 fucked up. But anyway, he he gets bit for his trouble. Yahoo! Yahoo! And, and that's the last time that we really see her biting someone until it gets to the very end. Because the rest of it now is these infected people are popping up everywhere. Yeah, the first one I noticed was on the subway. That is the, the, yeah. You think something's going to happen, like maybe he, she somehow inadvertently in, infected the roommate, because you, you can't be following somebody unless something's going to happen, right? Mm-hmm. So you're following the roommate onto the subway the next morning, and you're like, something must 
be about to happen with the roommate. She must be infected. But some random lady on the subway is infected. Mm-hmm. So her roommate gets to come home later with a story of like, guess what I saw today? Yeah. Which is cool because that's the first time we've totally lost track of the spread of this virus. Mm-hmm. Like we're a little CDC sitting here on the couch <laughs> tracking the virus. But in the movie, the World Health Organization is slowly tracking this. And it's not long after this that they do track it back to the Kelloid Institute. But mm-hmm. yeah, I really enjoy the ramping up of, you know, they do admit not too long after this that there is a state of martial law and they start to do roadside checks and things like yeah. that. It's very, it's very, it reminded me that the interview they have with the politician because they basically, they start treating this like it's rabies. And they do. And then in between the interview with the politician, the first time they call it rabies, they have someone, uh, it's not from the World Health Organization. It's a different guy saying that it's a maybe a new strain of rabies. And they start referring to the swine flu or that we would commonly know as H1N1, yeah. which was uh, another big infection scare. And I guess it would have been big infection scares that weren't in our popular knowledge that we don't Mm -hmm. remember of H1N1, Mm -hmm. maybe. But they list the symptoms of a six-hour incubation, sweat and foam, violence and biting, coma, then death, and it spreads by saliva. At that point, that's all that they know. Mm -hmm. And also, they've established in the film from the clinic that one of the police officers that was one of the first people that Dr. Keloid bit even though he got all of the injections that he needed for rabies, he still turned into an infected person and had to get put down by bullets. Now, when they talk to the politician who's, who's declaring a state of martial law, I couldn't help but notice the parallels between an, an interview talking to a politician about declaring martial law. It reminded me of the Trudeau thing that happened in the 1970s as well, where he basically, the reporter was saying, well, you can't declare this is Canada. You can't have armed people on the streets. And Trudeau very famously said, just watch me. And um, which is like one of my favorite. I, I like that line so much. I put it into a comic book. Oh, good. <laughs> See, and just to clarify, we're talking about Pierre Elliott Trudeau. Yeah, yeah. We're talking about Pierre Elliott Trudeau back in the 70s. Trudeau mania. Trudeau mania where he's dropping, jumping into a swimming pool. And he also did yoga. But there was a, there was a, a thing in Canadian history where I believe a, pol- a, a, a member of parliament was shot. Or yes, or kidnapped, and and so the idea was to have armed people on the streets protecting the politicians to make sure that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. People took offense to that because this is Canada; you can't have armed guards wandering around the streets of Ottawa. Trudeau very famously said, "Just watch me." Yeah, because his it was public safety first. That was what yeah. he was more interested in, not our fucking image. Yeah, and yeah. so this politician in this film. I mean, I'm not saying that true. Uh, I'm not saying that Cronenberg uh, was influenced by that but i'm just saying this is something that he would have been privy to this movie was completely that would have informed his his thought process of politics entirely and all this is a little more heavy-handed where the guy says uh, shooting down victims is as good of a solution as we've got yeah and that's fucking bold if you can imagine nowadays anytime fuck it if you can imagine anytime where a politician in canada was telling people that the way to help these infected people is to shoot them (laughs) <laughs> That's just shoot them. That's the only thing you can do for these people. That's crazy. I mean, I know that I, I know that in Night of the Living Dead, you have the very famous just shoot them in the head, shoot them in the head and burn them. Mm-hmm. The, 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 that's all. That's the solution. 
that's but i think it was like here it's things are presented so much so much more realistic in a funny way even though we're dealing with like mutations and blood drinking and and and, and rabid zombie people that's still something kind of haunting about this newsreel clip because it seems very legit right I it liked does. it. It does. And it's also because we haven't been inundated by that exact style of news media either. We've had, like I was saying before, like peppered in different styles of news, like little sound bites that we've been able to pick up on. Um, that finally when we get like some full frontal camera in the face, microphone in the mouth, news reportage in full color, we're, we're paying very fucking close attention to what this guy has to say. And that's yeah. what he says. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's yeah. a really pivotal moment. Um, going to the mall is also a pivotal moment. <laughs> I saw a Le Chateau. Nothing like a 70s, late 70s Le Chateau. Oh my god, it's fucking fantastic. Now she meets a guy that, that catches Rose. Uh, Rose catches this dude's eye from across the fucking room. Walks over in his knee-high brown leather boots what? and his fucking bright green pantaloons and a white shirt. It's Christmas time. This guy is not a fucking elf. No, he is not an he, elf. He's just he's just dressed like this. Now he tries to hit on her and wants to get a light from another guy to light her cigarette. And we get a feeling, well, this guy's fucking toast because he's putting the moves. On Rose. Yeah. And we know what happens to dudes that put the moves on Rose. Yeah, she didn't go to the mall for the Le Chateau. No, she was getting there to give people a little bit of armpit. And <laughs> a little bit of armpit action. A little bit of armpit. The least sexy thing ever. Yeah. Yeah. Try something a little different tonight, baby. A little bit of armpit, maybe. I, I love this. Like, I'm just like trying to put myself in the shoes of Marilyn Chambers and being like, okay, I know sexy. I know I know sexy. I can do sexy. So now I've got like an armpit monster okay i can work with this i can make this i can make this sexy i'm determined to make this sexy you know and this is before cronenberg is a very famous director right (laughs) so it's like what's that david armpit monster (laughs) oh my god she must have called people after she got the part and she must have known before they must have given her enough of a script to work with but she must have called people up at home afterwards she's like you'll never guess this fucking role i just got it's like maybe maybe hardcore pornography isn't so bad. Yeah. Now, the thing I love about this fucking mall scene is because when the guy goes to get a light and it turns out the guy he's going to go to get a light from is an infected. And this is the first time that Rose would have been in contact or first-hand experience looking at these infected people. Yeah, like the radio's been on around her, and she, but she hasn't been listening to it. She's not. Her ears aren't perking up when she yeah. hears reports of this at all. It's completely not on her radar no. until now. Yeah, she had because she a lot of times when she's lying in bed after she's fed, she has like these weird moments where she. She's having fits. She's in pain or she's sweats or she's not really. She's almost in and out of consciousness a little bit. Her yeah, roommate is like watching flip. this. Yeah, her roommate's watching this uh, diligently, but she's not. And one of the. <laughs> Can we just say that they light Santa up like a Christmas tree? Oh, God. <laughs> <sighs> it's Christmas time, guys. And they got a mall Santa Claus. Little fucking Billy boy on his with knee. With a sexy elf. With a sexy elf. Little Mrs. Claus. Jesus Christ. Yeah, she's super sexy. You were even like, whoa. Whoa, that is too sexy for a, for a Santa's little helper at yeah, the mall. It is a little too sexy. But in my mind, it's kind of just sexy enough. Yeah, it's fucking good, though. And if I got a little Billy on his eye, what do you want this year for Christmas? Well, I want a fire truck, Santa. 
Until the armed guard, because they have armed guards in the small, but I... Well, the machine gun! It's got to be because they're declaring a state of martial law. They had just said on the radio at this point that the politicians won't admit it, but to hear anyone on the streets, they have declared martial law and there are mm-hmm. armed police everywhere. So yeah, and so the, the, like they get like they're telling everyone to stay home, and people are still in the mall. So of course there's a guy with a machine gun, right? Yeah, and and so he fucking trying to shoot the infected, just shoots Santa like a whole bunch Holy of times. Holy fuck, man! I was fuck. I love that scene so much. It's just so heinous. Yeah. And then the cops' reaction is just oh god, it's fucking like he's lights Santa up like a Christmas tree. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah. fucking great. Meanwhile, where's Hart? Hart's driving around the city like a goddamn idiot. Murray, his friend, who they were at the clinic together, they see that the infection is not stopped by rabies injections, and we know. And he's got a brilliant scene where he's sitting there while they're getting attacked by an infected, not saying anything, not reacting, going into a cage with Murray. The police officer shooting them. Him coming out of the cage with no fucking lines of dialogue, no fucking facial expression. Then we got another fucking scene where he's driving around Montreal, not saying anything. Murray's been separated from him because he wanted to go check on his wife and kids. Who, by the way. The kid is dead, very dead, yeah. little baby. And then his wife is infected and then attacks Murray. So we know Murray's down for the fucking count. Meanwhile, Hart's driving around. An infected jumps on his fucking car. A military unit shoots that infected off of his fucking car. They walk over in hazmat suits, spray down his car. He says nothing. He reacts in no way. Yeah. There's a long fucking pause. And then he just turns on his wipers. <laughs> it's <laughs> awesome. And then really. he just drives away. Because this is like, and it's not even that noticeable. If you don't notice that Hart is the most wooden actor ever in the entire history of film, and these things that he should be reacting to, like a, a cop is attacking everybody. I Other would... cops are shooting down a cop. Someone just got shot on your windshield. He doesn't even react. He reacts more to the phone ringing earlier in the film than he does to fucking anything else up until the end. Of I wonder scene. if David just thought that it wasn't, it's not important. It, you don't need dialogue in the scene. You don't need to react. Good cut print. We're moving on. I got maybe nothing. he was impossible to direct because they're like look surprised and he had no face and then they're like okay now look sad and he had the same face and then they're like okay look happy you just got a puppy for Christmas and he had the same face it's fucking it's brutal it's fucking brutal but like I said you don't notice it if you stop considering him the male lead to me Murray was the male lead and and then when there's just no male lead in my mind whatsoever. Yeah, I guess so. You know? I guess not. I mean, Rose is definitely the star of this film. Oh, completely. So so I mean, we can, and I and honestly, every time they cut back to Hart, I'm just why are you here? But I'm now excited when they cut back to Hart because I want to see him do nothing. So, and and it becomes funny. Yeah. It becomes fucking hilarious. It does. I, I can't. That scene in the in the streets of Montreal. With that infected jumping on the car and nothing and then the wipers is just balls out hilarious to me. <laughs> it is now, yeah. Now, meanwhile, Rose gets back there and things are getting pretty fucking scary. She realizes something is up and she has this fucking conversation with her roommate telling her that they need to get or she needs to get away. And, and she needs to get away because she's starting to realize what the situation might be. Maybe? Do you think that she has any inclination? She does, because she's sort of saying things to her roommate, like, I don't want it to be you. 
Mm-hmm. Which mm-hmm. is, I guess she's cooked up this idea already in her mind because it's a pretty cryptic thing to be saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want it to be you. Which you could pass off as being like, I don't want it to be you who I kill next, or I don't want it to be who I infect next, mm-hmm. or, you know, in the larger scheme of things, I don't want it to be you who I need to use to prove to myself that I'm not Typhoid Mary here. Yeah, and that's what, and then one of the newsreels they refer to her because they talk about the fact that there has to be some kind of cure for this disease, like a Typhoid Mary that spreads this thing, but in them, they themselves are immune to it. Yeah, they've look like they've traced it back to the Kelly Clinic. They know that they even say she, so they must have an idea of exactly who it is. It's probably the only they probably, person that whose body isn't accounted. For. That's what I'm saying. They would know that Rose was in that clinic. They have an complete. They have an accountability of everyone else that was at that clinic. Mm-hmm. You have one missing person, no body. You could easily draw the conclusion that at the very least, this person is on your list of suspects we're privy to all of this she is not she's the least knowledgeable person here because she doesn't know that we know everyone she's come in contact with has become infected or died she's only just starting to piece this together and this is her very first time being like okay if i feed off this person what happens to them she's never stuck around never once yeah yeah i would wonder what she could possibly be thinking by the end of the movie we get a clear cut idea of what she's thinking, and it's dumb. <laughs> and it's so dumb. dumb. You think so? So fucking dumb. It it almost makes me lose it for her. she it, she becomes lost to me in that moment. And but we'll get to it in a second. So Hart finally has the fucking presence of mind to get to her where she lives. Yeah. Or at, yeah. at the very least where one of her friends where she has fucking knowledge about where she might be. And there she is, but oh fuck. She's she's armpitted all over her friend. Oops. Oops, yeah, and she's crawled over very predatory. And this is the explosive scene that I'm talking about. Where Hart himself is it's you. It's you. You've killed so many people, hundreds of people are dead. And he's screaming this line. And it comes out of nowhere. And it's almost scary because he's yelling at people the way that, like I said, I've heard people yell in real life. And when they're enraged when, when and they're dangerous. Just, when they're as angry as a person can be where I'm surprised that the mics weren't blowing out on how loud they were fucking screaming. I guarantee you that boom was fucking far away. Yeah, yeah. And and not only that, but in the struggle where Rose doesn't want to believe that it's her and she wants to let uh, him to let her go, when she says let me go, that is in turn the loudest and most enraged and panic of scream that I've ever heard. Yeah. Where I genuinely believe in this moment that he is furious and that she is terrified and 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 it's very believable it is it's wonderful wonderful acting in this scene mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and finally some wonderful acting from heart unless it is like and it backfired if that is it you know you know just play it real cool until the end and we'll get yeah. to see you go all nicholas cage he, that is he's fucking caging it up i love nicholas cage uh, me too it. i me love too. it so much yeah he definitely goes you know, in like a 9.9 Nicolas Cage on the mm-hmm, Nicolas mm-hmm, Cageometer. Mm-hmm. So this is Rose's big plan, gang, if you'll bear with me. She is going down to the lobby of this building that she's been staying at. And 
meanwhile, Hart has been rendered unconscious because she, she basically threw him down a flight of stairs in a struggle. It's not like she manhandled him. But, and then she gave him a nice kiss. Yeah. To prove that maybe she still loves him. Now, she's going down in the lobby and then instantaneously a guy who's in her vicinity. Like fruit flies and a banana. Jesus. It's very, it was really reminding me of species in, in mm-hmm. some of these scenes. You have a beautiful blonde woman who is not an alien in this case. She's some kind of a mutant, but she's just relentlessly luring men, grade A suckers, mm-hmm. into her web and killing them. Or at least turning them infected. She does her old routine. She needs to feed you know, on She blood. lies and lies and lies. You point that out too um, throughout the film where she's just so manipulative. And does she even know that she's just, these lies that, are just falling out of her mouth. And, and she's so, and just effortlessly is lying. I and, guess junkies do the same thing. Yeah. Like in the street involved youth perhaps. Like yeah. it's, a, it's a con that they need to hustle, hustle, hustle. Mm-hmm. And this girl just is a natural, I guess. Yeah, and because she's spontaneously lying her way through everything. And then next thing you know, Hart gets to the phone in the apartment where I guess uh, the roommate is, is dead. Maybe mm-hmm. she'll become a, a raise, uh, come back to life as an infected. Again, we don't know. And who is it? It's Rose calling her and she's going to div- divulge her big plan. So the big plan is this, Lids. Mm-hmm. She is going to, or she has, infected this fool that she met at the bottom of this fucking apartment who doesn't even live there. It's a place where he gets his old mail. So he used to live in the building. Now he's lying unconscious in a chair. She is like, she just woke up from a nap, all cozy and warm underneath her jacket, talking to heart as if they didn't just have a screaming argument where she was revealed to be the cause of the death of hundreds of people. And him trying to say that what she's going to do now is wait for this guy and see if he wakes up and see if he's infected. And if he is, then she'll know that she is indeed the source of the infection. Forget the fact that an unprecedented disease is spreading throughout the fucking province that originated at the clinic that she was from. Forget the fact that she is now some sort of mutated human that needs to sustain entirely on blood, something that has never existed before, Mm -hmm. as far as we know in this world, in this Cronenberg universe. And forget the fact that people that she has bitten, he knows, she knows. But you need to test these things. If somebody calls you up and says, hey, I have an STD, you're not just going to be like, okay, I guess I need to go and get this like medical treatment you you go and get a test first true do you think that she could maybe think of a better solution than locking herself in a room with that somebody would mean turning herself into the authorities or perhaps they good then maybe they could find a cure miss typhoid mary but if it's not her then she runs the risk of getting infected doesn't she no it's ridiculous i don't think it's all that ridiculous you come up with a better plan if you're in her situation uh how about i just go into of a place with an easily accessible door that I can close and see from a distance if he's going <laughs> to come back to life. I think she just doesn't believe it. She just doesn't believe it. She doesn't know what's happening to her, but she doesn't believe that. I can I can really I can relate to what she's what she's trying here and how her she just doesn't believe who that she is who everyone thinks she is. Well, it's going to get her fucking killed. And yeah. sorry i didn't mean to laugh but yeah i know it's futile and it doesn't make a lot of sense but it's it's the idea she came up with yeah it's a dumb one so when she 
is talking on the phone to her boyfriend, yeah. not paying attention. Like, as like, you're not even paying attention to your own dumb experiment. And so this fucking guy wakes up and kills her. And Hart's reaction. She really believed she was not the carrier. She really believed that maybe there was something wrong with her. Yes, she had a, a penis vagina stinger in her armpit, but she was not the cause of the death of hundreds and spreading. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I kill people for sure, but they're not coming back to life as an infected populace. Yeah, it's a little much to swallow. Yeah, you guys. And most of the people she didn't kill. She just like feed off them and then they'd be fine, right? So it's like punching someone in the dark. (laughs) Victimless crime. (laughs) Well, guess what? After Hart is done yelling at the phone and then smashing the phone, Mm-hmm. Because one of the things that I will say, it's crazy that Hart would have literally no idea where she is. She doesn't know where this guy was or who this guy that she was with. She doesn't, so they could be next door. They could be anywhere. They yeah. he, She could be in the building. Yeah. But it's the next day. <laughs> She's just lying in a heap of garbage getting gnawed on by a dog, mm-hmm. which I think is a pretty good metaphor for her life now. And... Unfortunately, that just spreads more rabies because that dog is going to be infected now. Right. If it can affect dogs because swine flu travels from animals to human, but apparently not from humans to animals. So, yeah. Man, fucking biology is a fucking weird, wild world, man. Isn't it? But guys in hazmat suits pitch her ass into a garbage truck and just. Yeah. No idea that she is immune to this infection yeah because they probably could maybe use her body at the very least if they had known yeah yeah study her somehow Mm -hmm. study her little weird thing under her armpit that's like in the crazies yeah where there's people uh what's his face is immune and and doesn't say anything Mm -hmm. right and it's maddening in a way i I don't find it too too maddening at the end of this no that's life yeah, I don't, I don't think so. I don't think it gets you in the same way that The Crazies does. I do, like, I, I know I'm, I'm kidding this movie pretty hard in some spots, but I do really like it. And, yeah. And I, I think that for one of Cronenberg's very early films, it's very interesting to, if you're a Cronenberg fan, definitely peep this out because there's so many things in it that will be in every film he makes. There's just things that buzz him as a, a writer and a director as a, as a creator of content, you know, he is the type of person that that has very specific interests and they're all present in this film. And I think that most of, most of every other scene is fine. I don't, I have a problem with heart with the exception of his last couple of scenes. I think those scenes are. Oh yeah, totally. And, and I like everybody else and I do kid Rose's logic, but that's not her fault. It's the script. And I think that if you want to get to a certain conclusion, I, I understand. I mean, there's no reason why. Well, I know I'm not going to harp on that too much more. But the point being is, is those are very minor quibbles. And what I think overall is a very good film. And honestly, the, even Hart's performance, it doesn't ruin anything for me. If anything, it just makes me enjoy certain scenes that would be kind of boring otherwise. Or there's enough things going on in the scenes that distract you from the fact that he's not doing anything, that he's totally in an anonymous contribution to this film, as far as I'm concerned, with the exception of the last two scenes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and the pilot of the motorcycle that started this whole crazy yeah, thing. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So what do we got next for him? Next. This was episode 104. Yeah. So yeah, episode 104. 
episode 105, we have Train to Busan. So with Train to Busan, we'll be fulfilling a fan request, which That's is awesome. Right. And what had set us off on a little bit of a journey through infection, which we will actually be continuing a little bit more too. Yeah. So Train to Busan, I'm pretty interested in that. I haven't seen it yet. I know there was a lot of buzz and everyone's seen it. It was at the Mayfair and things like that. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So it is on Shudder. Mm-hmm. I'm going to... It's either on Shutter or Netflix. It's on Netflix, for sure. It's on Netflix, then yeah. it is on Netflix. I don't think it's on Shutter. then. Everything's been on Shutter that I've been watching. I'd watched a series Yard Scott on Shutter as well, which was getting a lot of buzz. It was very good. And it is a... It has some Cronenberg body horror elements in that. So anyone that really likes this and has Shutter that hasn't got to it yet, please do. You can watch I Drink Your Blood that we covered on episode 104. And you can watch Rabid on shutter as well so it's got a lot of dead air hits it's got a lot of dead air and bind torture cast hits actually so shutter mm-hmm, is really mm-hmm. my favorite thing to do right now yeah other absolutely. than that like i don't have really much to report except that maybe keep your eyes out and your ears out and your dick out for the upcoming episode of bind torture cast i'm not right. saying i'm gonna be on it but who knows just my, keep your dick out my dick's always out yeah i know it's <laughs> awkward <laughs> I'm Wes Knight. And I'm Typical Lydia. And you've been listening to Dead Air.